The Drive on TSN 1200. AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement. Here's what you need to know today. Sends in Edmonton tomorrow. We'll hear from Bob Stoffer shortly as they take on the Oilers. They're six back of the Islanders for the last playoff spot with two games in hand. Three in the NHL tonight, including Buffalo at Toronto. GM meetings today, and Bill Daly spoke to the media saying they're going through the bids right now and looking at them. Didn't say much. Jimmy Garoppolo assigned a three-year deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. Chargers running back Austin Eckler buying a trade after extension talks have stalled. Miami has signed former Jets quarterback Mike White to a two-year deal to back up to a tongue of Iloa. Canada faces the U.S. in the World Baseball Classic tonight. That's at 10 p.m. as Canada looks to go 2-0 as we head to the Gabriel Pizza Hotline for our next guest. He is the color voice of the Edmonton Oilers and the host of Oilers Now on the Oilers Radio Network and 630 Ched, Bob Stoffer. Bob, how you doing today? AJ and Chris, how are you guys doing? Top drawer. Hey, before we get to the hockey, I know you're a big U sports guy. You used to work for the University of Alberta. How would you describe a company that puts the men's basketball championship and the women's basketball championship at the exact same time on the exact same day? Uh, did, by the way, did Carlton win again in men's? Carlton won the men's and women's for the first time in 38 years since UVic pulled the double in 1985. Uh, I don't think you sports could market a party at a liquor store myself. <laughs> that's that's why I, I asked know, the question. You know, I, as you know, I was the SID at the U of A for uh, eight seasons. It's funny how I believe that uh, there needed to be a, a certain standard with CP style written, uh, you know, 450 to 500 word recaps of all our conference games that there needed to be previews up. And as soon as I left, for whatever reason, there was not that expectation. And, uh, you know, you'd get uh, phone calls from people we, we put in stat crew and you'd get calls from parents saying that my daughter or my son wasn't a minus in that game. And I actually took the time <laughs> to go back and watch the video to see who was on the ice like a complete idiot. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, they've had, they had a guy come in there a couple of years ago from Rugby Canada, and he had brilliant ideas. And I, I think he had some health issues. But it just seems like it becomes less relevant every year. And it's a little bit frustrating, you know, uh, it used to be embarrassing when they'd say that uh, U-Sports hockey was the best-kept secret out there because in Edmonton it wasn't a secret. There was no major junior team, and Claire Drake uh, was the uh, the forerunner to modern penalty killing that we now run today. I mean, Claire was doing that stuff in the late 60s. So um, I'm not surprised that they, they did it at the same time. It's it, That's just how they roll, man. What can I tell you? <laughs> Well, let's get into the Edmonton Oilers because uh, that's the next opponent for the Ottawa Senators tomorrow night. Uh, what do you make of where the Oilers are at with uh, you know, a big deal at the deadline acquiring Matthias Ekholm, who seems to be fitting in quite nicely? Uh, you've got uh, you know the, the forward group, especially in the top end, playing as good as any group in the National Hockey League, but questions uh, um, about the goaltending and, and other parts of the Oilers game. Well, the last three seasons, so Ken Holland's first three years as GM, 
Edmonton finished 12th, 11th, and 11th overall. They're 12th today. The difference is in the last two seasons, Mike Smith in the all-Canadian uh, year, that was here, Edmonton went 9-0 and against Ottawa. Uh, Mike Smith had a 9.23 save percentage and was fourth in the NHL in goals saved above expectation. The only problem for the Oilers that year is they played against the goalie who was number one, Connor Hellebuck, in the first round of the playoffs. And the, and the Jets ended up uh, winning that series despite the fact that Edmonton led more in each of the respective games. The first game was scoreless, but the games two, three, and four, Edmonton actually had uh, you know the lead more than Winnipeg did, lost in four straight. Um, last year, Smith was 9-15. I think he was 17th in the league in goals saved above expectation. That's a, a stat put out by a site known as Money Puck. Uh, there's some debate on the merits of that, but this year out of 97 goaltenders, Jack Campbell's 94th and Stuart Skinner 67th. So, you know, I, Smith went 923, 915. Stuart Skinner's at 911. He's a great story. He's got a chance to be a pretty good goalie, but this is his first step in the NHL. And I don't have to tell the listeners in Ottawa the importance of goaltending because the two guys they got going right now have combined for under 16 NHL appearances that are with them on this Western road trip with uh, Cam Talbot and Forsberg out. So uh, it's the great equalizer. You know, I'm watching the most dynamic offensive player ever, the most advanced dynamic offensive player we have ever seen. Um, but you still need stops. And what did the late great Pat Burns say? Goaltending is 70% of hockey. Unless you don't have it, then it's 100% of hockey. Hmm. And the Oilers on some nights just haven't had it, and that's why they've ended up with uh, some of the results they have this year. It's got to be so frustrating for McDavid. I mean, all those guys, right? The clock's ticking on their careers. And, and you know, apart from being frustrated and probably expressing that frustration to the general manager and, and basically telling him to do something, there's not much else those guys can do. Like, what's what's the end game here? Well, Chris, I mean, realistically speaking, I think that Ken Holland stepped out of his comfort uh, level. He hadn't made a substantive trade at the deadline since 2008 when he got Brad Stewart into Detroit. People forget the last three years that he was Detroit. He was selling players off. Actually, he made a brilliant trade. He got a first, a second, and a third for Tatar when he moved mm-hmm. uh, Tatar yep. from Detroit to Vegas. That was a good trade for Detroit. Yep. Uh, his last year that he made the playoffs uh, with Detroit, he did nothing. He didn't add. He didn't take away. So it's been a while since he, you know, his first three years in Edmonton, he made small little deals, nothing that really impacted the team overall. I mean, he got Kulak last year for a second, and the Oilers re-signed Kulak, but Kulak played in the third pairing. So he made – the Eckholm trade looks pretty good right now. I mean, I hated to see the prospect they gave up. Reed Schaefer is a throwback player. We just don't see guys like that in junior hockey. For your listeners that maybe saw him play in the World Juniors, that's not an event where Reed Schaefer is going to shine. Reed Schaefer's big. He can fight. He's got a mean streak in him. And you're not allowed to play that way for Canada at the internationally because everybody's always got their eyes on Canada at first. So he kind of got pushed further down the lineup, but he's going to be a player in the NHL. And I think the Oilers stole a really good pick there, and it hurt to see him go in that trade. Um, but that being said, they addressed what they needed. They got an excellent two-way defenseman that can stop cycles and shut things down. Eckholm's been terrific. He's elevated Evan Bouchard. That was the Oilers' best pairing by a mile. Uh, Cody Cece, I think, has been playing with a little bit of it. He hasn't been on the same, you know, I know he played for the uh, 
obviously for the the Senators and the 67s, but he had a great second half last year. I think he's been nicked up this year in stretches, and him and Nurse haven't been as effective. But that was a big trade for Edmonton. But at the end of the day, you still need stops, and the Oilers haven't got enough of them, Mm. specifically from Jack Campbell, who they stepped out and invested five times five on in the offseason. And that's always the great debate in a city, right? When when you get to that tipping point where you do need to win now because the clock is ticking on your best players. Yeah. And and we heard the same kind of thing here. And I'll give the general manager here credit for going out and getting Chikrin and not having to give up any of, of the prospects whose names we heard bandied about, like a Shane Pinto or a or a Ridley Gregg. And that's and that's always the, the uh the great debate, right? Should the GM step off the curb and, and give up a good prospect for help right now? And not just help right now, but a guy who really does make your team better now. Well, Ekholm was probably the right defenseman for Edmonton. And I'm not sure Arizona would have taken the same uh, picks package from Edmonton that they did from Ottawa, because I'm going to hazard a guess that they were simply put Ottawa as playing in a tougher conference. Yep. And the likelihood that Edmonton would finish higher up in the standings, plus you're trading back into the conference yep. as opposed to yep. out of the conference. And the reality is it wasn't just the first and two seconds because it was a second and a fourth to Chicago with Zaitsev to get him off the books because Ottawa is a real cap. They've got a self-imposed cap team. So he needed to create the space by moving Zaitsev out in order to, to take Chikrin on, uh, you know, and maybe when you guys get new ownership, maybe that doesn't happen, but that's the reality of the situation yes. right now. Yep. And AJ knows, uh, Chris, I, I know we've had a chance to do a couple interviews together. Pierre can, Pierre can find players. Like he, he can draft. Ottawa has done a pretty good job drafting. Um, and they have some limitations similar to Edmonton at times. They have to make hard deals that maybe not every team in the league has to make up because of the uniqueness of playing in a Canadian market. He's also got Stutzla you know, signed to a max term length deal. I think Kachuk signed to a max term length deal. The Oilers did the same thing, obviously, with David and Drysaddle, and before that with Nugent Hopkins and Taylor Hall. So uh, that's the best you can do for your market in that situation. It does show a commitment. And I think it was a good trade for Ottawa, and I also think it was a good trade for Edmonton. And I think those two organizations targeted the right defense in each of those respective deals. On Jack Campbell, is it a confidence thing? What are you seeing in, in his game that uh, that is struggling? Um, you know, I'm old school. Like, AJ, I'm from Stop the Puck school and Stop the Puck at the right times. We watched Grant Fuhr play here at Edmonton, and, you know, the Oilers won a lot of games 6-5 back in the day. Jack, again, I'm quoting Money Puck here, I think minus 20 in expected goal. And the difference is eight or nine points. I mean, we're talking first place for Edmonton. Wow. Yep. That's that's the difference. And so uh, minus 20 in goal saved above expectation. Other models got him at minus 22. You get the, you get the point. Yes. Is it confidence? Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he did switch to new equipment. I know that that was something earlier in the year uh, that was brought up to me by a couple different people. Uh, you know, it was a pretty interesting perspective to have. Uh, McKenna brought that up from um, Daily Faceoff. Mike McKenna thought it was a really valid point. He did modernize his equipment a little bit. Slightly, you know, he's he's got a different goalie coach. He had Steve Briere, who's now in Seattle. He had him in Toronto. 
Um, the Leafs, by the way, last year were 17th and 18th in goals against, and they switched up their neutral zone play when they suffered all those injuries with the defense earlier in the year. And now it's the Oilers that are sitting at like 20th, 21st, 22nd in goals against, and they got to be better than that if they're going to do anything at all in the playoffs. So now the one thing I will say, guys, after the game against Ottawa, Edmonton doesn't have another game against the East, and the East is better than the West. Um, I do expect the Oilers to probably go, you know, 10 and 5, 11 and 4 in their final 15 games of the regular season, and it wouldn't surprise me if they got the goals against down as the season went on. Mm. Bob Stoffer is our guest, host of Oilers Now and color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers on their radio network and 630 Ched. Uh, 55 goals, 127 points for Connor McDavid. They're both career highs, and the team has 15 games left. Uh, what can you tell us about just the evolution of his game uh, from last year to this year where, uh, amazingly, he just seems to keep getting better? Well, it's not amazing that he's gotten better. And I know I've said this for sure, AJ, when you've had me on before, but I circle back to Chris Knobloch, Avenue Maniri, and late the night, the night the Oilers won um, the uh, lottery, he called me because I think Erie had a playoff game that night. And he just said, stop, just there. No, he, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they were already through because Connor was at the event. Uh, you know, but he said, stop, there's going to come a time four or five years in where you're going to see McDavid and you're going to say, I've never seen him do that before because he's constantly working at his craft. And I'm a firm believer in osmosis. Like AJ, I know you're getting better right now because you're working with Chris. Chris is making you a better broadcaster. 100%. I thought, well, I, I love thought working you're, with CJ so much. I thought you were going to say, cause you're talking, cause he's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, would, I wouldn't do that. People my own. People in my own household would tell you that's not the truth. But uh, no, but you know, he, you know, Peter Zosky wrote in the book Game of Our Lives about all the Oilers players getting better because they got to practice with Gretzky. Mm. And I, I look at what the player Leon Drysettle has become. And former Ottawa Senators head coach Corey Clouston told me in his draft he's going to stop. He's going to be way better than people think. I didn't think Leon would turn out to be a. You know, he's, he might get his third fifty goal season here this year. You know, I, I, I knew Leon would be a 25 to 30 goal, 75 to 80 point guy. I didn't think Leon would be a 55, you know, 50 to 55 goal, 110, 115 point guy. That's going to happen. And I think that's partially because he's been driven further by Connor. And so, uh, and then what we're seeing this year, it's just off the charts. It, mm. Like, it's unbelievable. Here's what's scary, and I'm serious about this. And I know he had a stretch where he had five straight games with two or more goals. He's only had one five-point game. Like, it's been steady night after night. I mean, against the Leafs, the Oilers, they had a tough night. They had some bad turnovers and some defensive gaps. They had, you know, Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins looked a little bit fatigued. Connor was bringing it shift after shift. This is after he got his knee tweaked in that collision with Derek Ryan in Boston. So, I mean, I just I circle back to what Jay Woodcroft has said a couple times. You know, if you're living at the foot of Mount Everest, do you really take it all in and appreciate it on a daily basis? Maybe you should. And as a broadcaster that's privileged to travel with the Oilers all year, I'm watching the Mount Everest of current NHL players, and it's awesome to bowl on a nightly basis. I mean, Gretzky's Gretzky. Is is he ever going to be able to approach the stature that Gretzky had in Edmonton? Chris, I tell you right now, he's more advanced than Wayne. More explosive. He's a more explosive skater. He can do stuff. I mean, Wayne, 
Wayne would. Wayne doesn't even think he. I know this because he said it on my show. He doesn't even think he's top three all time. He's a very humble man. I think most yes. of us think he's the greatest player that ever lived. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Orr is seen as the greatest defenseman that ever played. And you would recall back to game two of Boston and Montreal in the 71 series, and Bobby was on the ice for five straight goals against. Like, mm. even the best players have tough nights. But uh, can he get to the status of Wayne? Damn close, man. They call him a Jesus for a reason. Like, if, if he was playing at, at the current speed and skill and ability back when Wayne played, when goalies were five foot eleven yes. on average yep. instead of six foot three and a half. Yep. Half the half the defenseman Chris could only turn one way back then. Now granted he'd be getting slashed and two handed and run late and all that other stuff. I mean I I, I bet you Wayne would tell you he would have had a three hundred point season with his current ability today. Well, it's pretty special what we're watching. And and I mean let's face it, Gretzky had the opportunity to play with like it's almost like the 77 Habs, right? With all kinds of Hall of Famers. Like you look at the, I'm not taking anything away from what Gretzky did, but when you look at the supporting cast that he's had in, in, over his time at Edmonton compared to what McDavid's had to work with, there's no comparison. Well, and the, I mean, just think about this for a second, Chris. Like, all right, so he played with Curry. We had a great one-timer. Drysaddle has a great one-timer, but they, the last three seasons they haven't played Connor and Leon together at all. Yeah. And like they they played under twenty five percent of their time five on five in the regular season the last three years. And the only reason they played in the playoffs after game six last year is because Leon basically broke his ankle mm. and gutted it out and played against the Flames and got seventeen points. I, I bumped into uh Guy and it is Guy Goudreau, uh Johnny's dad in Columbus and we were talking about it and he's like, Stoff, they put those two guys together and the best line in the league all season with Kachuk, Lindholm, and Goodrow were no answer head-to-head against them in that series. Mm. I mean, it was an awesome series. Yep. But Edmonton's had to split those guys up. And, they, I mean, they well, Kane's just come back from injury. They got four guys. You know, they could have – Hyman's just dropped off, but Nugent Hopkins is having a career year at 80 points. Leon's up at 96. He's going to break 100. Ryan's probably going to get to 90. Uh, and then Hyman's going to get at least 80. And they haven't had Evander Kane, who had 35 goals in 58 games last year in Edmonton between the regular season and the playoffs. So, And unlike Ottawa, who's got a good top six, maybe not plus-minus-wise, but a good top six goal-scoring-wise, the Oilers have way better support scoring than the Senators. Mm, like That's sure. the other part yeah. of the equation. They just don't keep enough pucks out of their own goal right that now. That could be the difference in the game tomorrow night. Well, oh, we'll see. Edmonton better be ready to play because there's no way Ottawa is going to play that bad again. Last time we talked uh, on this radio station, Bob, uh, we, we talked about the West and how wide open it is, and it still feels the same way. You still felt Colorado was the team to beat. Is that still your thinking, or is there another team over the last few weeks that's really caught your eye in the West? Well, I'm I'm old school. Uh, to beat the champ, you got to knock off the champ. They're the champ, and they've also had uh, the last five times the Oilers have gone to overtime or a shootout against Colorado. Colorado's won the game. Um, so, you know, they've played two games this year that have gone that route. Ottawa's gotten the extra point in both games. Uh, we have a game in, uh, Colorado in Denver, uh, second week of April. It's going to be the second last regular season game Edmonton plays. It's going to be an interesting one. I wonder Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, if Edmonton's clinched the playoff spot, if, uh, they give McDavid a dry settle a game off against San Jose to close out the regular season, but I'd have all the guys going for that game in Denver. So yeah, I'm, I, the records would indicate that the six best teams in the league might be in the East 
Um, Edmonton has not played well against the Columbuses and the Montreals of the world. Um, ironically, they've they've beaten Tampa Bay twice. They've taken you know they've won on the road in Boston, which was and came back the only team all year yeah. to come back against Boston. Yeah. Uh, but I still have Colorado as the team to beat in the Western Conference. Hmm. Why is that a bad matchup for Edmonton? Uh, Colorado's defense, when they certainly in the well, last year, I mean McDavid's on one leg, or sorry, Dry settles on one leg or yeah. one ankle, and Darnell Nurse was playing with a hip flexor injury, and the Oilers were not as deep as Colorado. Like Colorado won four straight. If Edmonton had everybody completely healthy, maybe they win a game. Chris, I got to be honest. Hmm. They were just better. I think it's. I think the makeups of the two teams are closer, and I do think Ekholm really helps Edmonton out. And the and you know both teams in theory have news starting like Georgiev is yeah. you know the number one guy now in Colorado, and Campbell was supposed to be that guy, hasn't delivered. Ekholm has helped, I think, bridge the gap a bit for Edmonton's defense, and then the wild card in this is the the, the health of. Uh, Kel McCarr and the concussion issues because he's had a couple this year and that's got to be concerning for the Abs who I thought were oddly quite like they added Eller but I thought they were going to I think they were a team that was maybe in the Jonathan Taze hunt uh, Chris McFarland's a guy I've known for a long time he used to work for Scott Housen in Columbus and he's you know he's been a rising star for a number of years yep. and did a lot of the background work with Craig Billington to build that team in Colorado for Joe uh, Sackick and they spent a lot of uh, draft capital in last year's uh, cup run, and they weren't as assertive this year. Uh, I think the the two teams are closer, but I still got Colorado to beat, and I think part of it is just what they can generate from their back end. We know you're a big SEC football guy. Do you still uh, have the same affinity for SEC basketball, and in particular, Alabama? Are they ranked number one? in their... They're a one seed, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm old school, AJ. I, I always worry about those ACC schools. Aren't those the schools to beat, usually? It's a rough year for the ACC. Duke yeah. won the tournament, and they're a five seed. North Carolina didn't even accept their invite to the NIT. Preseason number one. And is NC State relevant anymore? They're playing in, uh, I think they're an 11 seed. Yeah. I, I bet on Alabama football before I bet on Alabama. Didn't that, didn't something happen with one of the guys on the Alabama basketball team? Yeah, their best player uh, basically is accused of bringing the murder weapon to the scene of a crime, but but he's been cleared, so he's good to play. But yeah, it's not an ideal situation there. Yeah, I, I put my money on Nick Saban with the football program before the uh, before the <laughs> basketball team. Uh, I, I, you know what? Good for that. And, and maybe again, we're going to go back to osmosis when Nick has a structure and process put in place. And I know this from working. You know, at the time that I was at the U of A, we wanted everything other than football. And that in football, you need seventy players. And as a general rule of thumb, the schools with the weaker academic requirements tend to get more kids into school. That's just the reality of the situation. So, um, you know, U of A had a couple of good years in football, but all the other championships. Alberta won over about a five-year window when I was there. They won both men's and women's basketball. I think, AJ, you did the basketball yeah. Alberta won too with Robbie Valpreda. Obviously, they're in the mix every year in hockey. I mean, this is 
by the Bears standard, this this is a C team, and they still made it to the national championships this year. And then they're always in the mix in volleyball. Like I think men's volleyball is ranked number one. So we had a lot of success, and at that time, a lot of the drive was internal and, and competitive between the programs. And I wonder maybe if that's what's occurred with Alabama with their basketball team this year. And we were talking the same thing about Dave Smart and just, uh, I mean, he's oh, yeah. director of ba- basketball operations, probably no, uh, not a coincidence that both programs, even with him not coaching either, won a national title, right? Yeah, the Panthers finished third this year, uh, but yeah. it's, per- you know, it's pretty clear what, uh, what Carlton's been able to pull off there over the last, now do they, do they, do they have football or did they end up? Uh, yeah, they resurrected that in 2013 and, and actually have sent a lot of players to the Canadian Football League. They just haven't translated that into success in the OUA where Western continues to be the dominant power. Yeah, well, and seemingly forever, right? All the way uh, back to the days of Darwin uh, Simoniak, who, as you know, came out of the West yeah. as well. So, uh, there you go. No, it's good. I mean... We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think we'll have a good game tomorrow. I think Ottawa is going to play a lot. I think Ottawa stylistically is a – Edmonton's a better match stylistically for the Senators than the Flames are. The Flames were desperate because they were – I think they were seven or nine points out of it going into that game. They have to win that game. They just lost to Anaheim. And, you know, Ottawa has been a tough stretch. They're on the West. It's not easy. Four games and six nights. But the Oilers better be ready to go early because the Senators can score. Bob, always great stuff. Appreciate the time. Look forward to the game tomorrow night. All right. We'll have you on tomorrow. Take care. Keep them in line there. All right. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Cheers, Bob. Yeah. Bob Stoffer joining us in the Gabriel Pizza Hotline. It is the official pizza of the Ottawa Senators. There's a man who's got a grip on his subject material. Yeah. Huh? No, we always love having Bob on. Yeah. Always has an opinion. And, yeah, he knows... A lot about the Edmonton Oilers, a lot about the National Hockey League, but a lot about uh, U sports, and that's why I wanted to. Yeah. Former SID at the University of Alberta as well. All right. Aiden Warnholt, speaking of U sports, will join us at 5.05 to talk about Carlton men's basketball, MVP of the U sports Final Eight, as we continue with the drive on TSN 1200. The drive on TSN 1200. AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement. Just saw a post from Travis Yost from TSN.ca talking about Philip Gustafson's year in Minnesota and how he's been night and day better than Marc Andre Fleury. I might have retweeted that. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just with the way everything is gone. Okay. And again, does it does it not feel a little bit like the a little bit like the Zabanajad Zabanajad situation here where you felt like he he was it was frustrating with his inconsistency. You could see kind of the you could see the talent, the flashes of the talent. And you make the decision to move on from uh, from Zibanejad. Do you regret it? You would think, with what you gave up and what you got. 
and the Gustafson, I could understand, you know, a level of, of frustration with the goaltending situation here and feeling like you needed to speed it up because it, it did feel like, you know, the time is now for the Senators to start making a push. And it goes back to the discussion we just had with Bob Stoffer about giving up giving up prospects to, to uh to try and make your team better now. So you know I guess philosophically I understand the move to sacrifice the future to try and help your team in the present. But who knew that Philip Gustafson's future was gonna be like this season and if you had him here playing like he is now in Minnesota that he just might be the answer and the long-term answer to your goaltending situation here in Ottawa. And I don't want that to sound like 2020 hindsight because I hate that. It's it's easy to rip somebody when something doesn't go. Yeah, and doesn't and, doesn't go great. Well, right? and, and this is one like at the time I thought, okay, you know what? Sogard feels like your goaltender of the future, and you've also got Marilinen, right? So it's yeah. not like you've got just one ticket there. And Marilinen's had a tremendous year in yes. Finland. Yeah. So at the time. I thought that was a pretty good gamble, right? And especially, like, if you were going into this past season with Gustafson and Forsberg as your starters, I felt like it's a gamble, right? Yeah. But one right now, in hindsight, that doesn't look very good. The the one, but I'm that, not. I'm not going to sit here and say like, "Oh man, I thought Philip Gustafson was right on the cusp yeah. of becoming a number one goal in the NHL." Yeah, I still watched him, and and having had the opportunity to be around him, he had a bit of a quirky personality, he which did. doesn't yeah. make him unique among among goaltenders. But you were kind of like, "Oh boy, is he ever really going to get it?" Like, and so I'm not going to sit here and say I was one of the guys like, "Don't trade this guy." I didn't. I didn't know. But the problem is, ideally, a Zach Burke or someone like that, right, should probably should. And again, I don't want to throw this on Zach Burke or or anything like this. But and maybe he did say this is a guy that we can't trade. But I think someone there every day ideally should have a better handle on that than you and I. Right. Yes. Because our stuff is based on our own observations and talking to people. There were questions about Gustafson's, um, how do I put it, resiliency, I guess, maybe at, at this point in his, in his career, mentally. But what a season he's having in, in Minnesota. Great trade for the Wild. Yeah. Turned out awful for Ottawa. No, there's to a certain extent it's been out no, of it's been out of the Senators' control because yeah. injuries. But also, you trade for a 35-year-old goaltender, even if he's coming off a, I'll use air quotes, all-star season. You're taking some chances there. But it comes back to you know, like the one argument you could say, well. Maybe it's just a, a product of the system. Yes. Right? Yes. Going from Ottawa to I, Minnesota. And I was going to go there and say maybe just the, 
he just played behind a better team, and that helped him have better numbers. So if he's the product of a better system, then to me, that doesn't really speak well of what system you've got. Agreed. Here Agreed. in Ottawa. 100%. 100%. So either way, something's missing, yes. right? Yes. And something's missing in terms of either you misidentified this goaltender and where he was at, or you need to find a better system to play so that your goaltenders have a better chance. Yeah. Very fair. Take a break. We'll take some texts on the other side. Aiden Warnholtz from the Carlton Ravens men's basketball team, the U Sports Final Eight MVP, joins us on the other side as we continue with the drive on TSN 1200. Let's get to some more texts. AJ, CJ, Cam Clement, Big Rick wrote in last hour. CJ, that was inspiring. That sends rant rivals some of AJ's best. <laughs> and to do it in his presence is like Connor McDavid scoring a Hattie in Gretzky's presence and just giving him the look while Wayne tips the cap. A thing of beauty, gents, from Big Rick. There you go. Uh, thanks, some Big love. Rick. Like I said, it was, <laughs> wasn't going to go off today, but you know what happens. Linda writes, quick question, as I'm sure you can appreciate. I'm a bit concerned about the Senators' goaltending. Is there any rule that prohibits the Senators from signing a, a recently retired goaltender? Devin Dubnik comes to mind. They need to do something. Thanks from Linda. Lloydie would know better than I would, but does, does that not feel like one of those things if you sign somebody at this point that they'd have, have to, to go, go through, through waivers? waivers? Yeah. And, of course, wouldn't be eligible to play in the – Playoffs, playoffs, but that's yeah. neither here nor there with what we're talking about. But I, I feel like those would be the. Uh, I feel like those would be the restrictions. Well, it's not ideal if I mean, Mad Sogard, right? Part of the reason he's not played a back to back is because he keeps, at, at least this year in the American Hockey League, right? Yeah, kept getting hurt in the back to back. So you're not going to see him in a back to back. You certainly weren't going to see him in a back to back when he didn't look like he finished that game at 100% against the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not an ideal situation for sure. They did sign Dylan Ferguson to an NHL deal. Yeah. Which I think is important. And this is a guy who's got a pretty good track record. I mean, I follow one of my good friends that calls games in the Western Hockey League from my days, John Keane. I follow him on Twitter and... Certainly, he seemed to have a lot of love for Dylan Ferguson in his time with the Blazers. He was a drafted goalie by the Dallas Stars. So, at least that gives him another body, right? Yes. Yeah. But it's not a great situation when your top two guys are hurt. No. No. And I think I said it to you during one of the breaks, like... Talbot's 35. Forsberg now coming off of the double knee injury. Incredible, really, when you think about it. There's going to be hard questions again this summer. Do you, I mean, it's fine to think, well, we can bring Talbot back. But again, do you, do you risk with a, a, a goaltender getting 
up there in years, you have to think that that injury and a question of availability is going to be inevitable. And you have to be concerned about Forsberg's ability to to bounce back. So, you know, once once again, going into an offseason where there's going to be a lot of different ways of looking at the goaltending situation and a lot of questions about what's the best route to take. And again, time time ticking. Fans are going to want to see this team make the playoffs next year. Yeah. That, that's going to be the minimum going into next year. Yeah, that's the minimum bar. You make the playoffs next year. It's not going to be meaningful games in April. No, no, it's you make the playoffs yeah. next year. Especially you've given up two first round picks in back to back drafts. Yeah, and high picks too, right? Like you can talk about giving up. Like to me, there's a big difference between giving up the 28th pick and the 13th. Start getting into seven. That's impactful. Yeah. So, yeah, next next year the minimum, the minimum is making the playoffs. Yeah. And right now, can you even guess? So we're talking about making the playoffs. The top, you got to be in the top half of the league. Do you want to even guess what the goaltending situation looks like right now going into next year? There's your poll question. <laughs> There's one of your poll questions. What's the Senators' goaltending combo to start next season? Yeah. Tool and equipment store. Today's is about the power play. Yes. Do we want to do that? Yeah, we can switch it. I, I'm good switching it. No, no, I'm just saying, do we want to do the power play question right now? I'm just saying that could be a that could be a that that's an ever that's an evergreen question right now. If they can't if they if, if they can't I'll just throw that out there. If they can't come up with a poll question right off the top of their heads, and the senators almost always give you something good to sink your teeth into, that that would be one for me right now is like take a guess and what the goaltending combo is going to be next year. Forsberg and Sogard, Forsberg and Talbot. Forsberg and somebody else? Our web poll question of the day for the tool and equipment store, what's the biggest issue with the Sens power play? Is it setup, personnel, or puck luck? I feel like it's other. All the above? It's, it's not puck luck. Okay? No, it's all, okay? of the, it's not, all of the above. Can I just vote not puck luck? Yeah. <laughs> because I can't just vote personnel because the personnel – that have given the Senators one of the best power plays in the NHL, right? This is a short-term problem that is a big problem right now because they're giving up as many goals since the All-Star break as they're scoring. (laughs) So that's not ideal. Was that pointed out once or twice in the broadcast last night? I think maybe just once or twice. Once or twice. So I feel like it's not personnel, even though that is part of what ails them. It's definitely not puck luck. When you've given up seven shorthanded goals, that's not puck luck. That's a bunch of bad decisions. That's it's, so I, that's what it is. It's bad decisions. Yeah. 
Right now, setup is leading at fifty-seven percent. Personnel thirty-one. Puck well, I'm going to say I'm going to say personnel in the context of you need to shake it up. You need to move some pieces around there. So it's open-ended question when you just say personnel. To your point, they've got people who made this one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League this year and a big reason why they had some of the nice runs that they've had this season. And no surprise, power play goes cold. Wins are harder to come by. Power play gives up a bunch of shorties. Wins are harder to come by. But I think they need to... They need to, to shake it up for those guys, change the look, get them thinking differently than the patterns that they've been thinking in the last little while by having some people in some different positions and give it a fresh coat of paint and see what that does for you. I can tell you I don't like Thomas Shabbat playing the right point. Nope. Take our top hour break. We'll have uh, CFRA News Update. I'll have what you need to know. And then Aiden Warnholtz of the Carlton Ravens will join us at 5.05 as we continue with this Monday edition of The Drive on TSN 1200.